The iPod exceeded all expectations and was a massive success. Here's the final part of my conversation with iPod inventor Tony Fidel. He talks about why it performed so amazingly. I'm Roger Chang, this is your Daily Charge. The iPhone revolutionized not just the phone market, but really the way we interact with devices. I mean, to the point where we're we're almost addicted, right? We're reliant, we're tethered to our phones. I'm curious if if you or, or Steve Jobs had, had any idea that we would be so reliant on these devices as we are today. Uh, you know, it wasn't supposed to be that. It really, it was. You know, he said it's an internet browser, email, and 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 iPod all in one, right? Right. So what we were always looking at was an entertainment device. And by the way, it also do communication. So you can just make phone calls. And yeah, you could do a couple of things, but it's small, it's pocketable. It's not going to be like your thing. So it was only after we started using them more behind the scenes. And we're like, oh my God. And this was before it launched. We're like, it's changing the way we're working. We're using these all the time. And it started to be like, oh, this is something a lot different than you know, uh, a lot different than just a music player with a phone functionality or vice versa. This is a whole new way of working and living and everything. And that's when it, it kind of snowballed. And, you know, the first version came out, wasn't quite right for all kinds of, you know, it was, it was a success, but it wasn't quite right for all kinds of reasons. The business model wasn't right, no mm-hmm. apps, all that stuff. Then the apps came. And then the third generation was really when it had fast enough data and all the other, all the other things uh, battery life and size and all that other stuff. So, um, again, three, three generations to get there, but, uh, but yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, today, if you look at it, there's a lot of unintended consequences for the device as well, you know, in terms of, you know, digital addiction, social media kind of stuff, like that was never the intent. We, who, who would have known like there was an enemy in Uber and, you know, there was a Facebook at the time, but it was online. It was not in your hand and right. like it was going to take right. off like it did. So, yeah. So, you know, to me, the iPhone is, you know, is a computer. You can do whatever you want with the computer. And a lot of people are doing a lot of things that, okay, luckily Apple has that good strategic point where it can start to work with what applications can go on, which shouldn't go on, mm. you know, and mm. help to help us with, uh, you know, these devices that can be quite addictive uh, and take over your life or or be too intrusive from a privacy standpoint and these kinds of things. Right, right. Uh, this is a bit of a philosophical question. If, uh, if the, you know, if the iPhone or really the modern era smartphones is sort of a successor to the iPod, what do you think would be the successor to the iPhone? Well, it has to be something that's standalone that doesn't require a phone. So mm. the Apple Watch more or less requires a phone. Yeah, I know it's yeah. getting, le- but it's still tethered to the phone. You know, it's really just a small version of it. You know, it's right. not like it's right. it's a new way of communicating or a new way of interfacing. And then, you know, and then there's the, you know, we're hearing about AR glasses or whatever. Look, until either of those devices or yet a third device is fully standalone with a new user interface and new apps, Mm. like let's say, because here on your wrist or in your head, on your head or whatever, you need to have full audio, right? And you have to have full audio interface and not Siri where you did it. It's got to be much more fluid. Just anything that is going to be, you know, you could be like scanning things with your eye and then selecting and it's doing a little brain signaling or stuff like that. It's got to be so that you're not trying to replicate the user experience of a iPhone on something smaller. Right. And right now, from all I can tell from AR and these kinds of things, they're smaller displays and they help you in certain situational 
you know, certain situations. But at the end of the day, you always are going to default back to your iPhone to do anything. And in some cases today, you know, there's people who don't even read certain mails or respond to certain mails on their phone. They wait till they get to a computer. Right. So there's kind of these batches. I know I do. And yep. I'm sure other people oh, yeah. do. It's like, oh, I read all those. And those are the quick replies. OK, now I'm going to go to the computer and get all the real work done. So where I can you know, be thoughtful on my, you know, my, on my replies and that stuff. So, so I think right now we have that same cascade. It's going to take a lot more software knowledge in the cloud. It's going to take a lot more voice, all kinds of other alternative interfaces for a new device to supplant the iPhone. And even then, it's hard to supplant the iPhone. You know, it just really is going to be hard. Look, we didn't replace laptops. Laptops yeah. are still here. Yep. iPhones will still be here. It's not going to get replaced. You're going to augment it with another thing, you know, over time. So what is that going to be? It's got to be some kind of wearable, of course. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's a lot, of, it's a lot of different systems kind of working together. Is that sort of thinking? Or, or just one, one really smart system. Uh, you don't want to have too many, too many pieces of the puzzle and to break. That's true. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, the, the, the philosophies, the concepts, the, the sort of work ethic that you kind of put into the, the development of the iPod, I'm curious how that sort of informs your, your work over at Nest, which you founded, as well as now as a, as a principal at FeatureShape. Well, you know, there, there is a work ethic there that, you know, we, we work very, very hard. And, and the reason being is once you come up with that idea, if it's a really good idea, you're probably not the only one who has that idea in the world. And now, especially with globalization and the internet and everything, ideas travel like that and around the world, they can catch fire, you know? And so you have to work really, really quickly and, and, and execute well to make sure that that idea can hit out, hit out, get out the door first and tell the world what it's all about. Because if you're number two or number three, you look like a fast follower and they're like everybody else who got the lead spot, they get all the, the hero worship. It's like, you know, the, the difference between uh, uh, um, the astronauts on Apollo, right? It's like everybody right. remembers Neil Armstrong, but what about Buzz and everybody else? You know, so, so it's kind of the same thing with these kinds of products. You capture the imagination. And so you need to have a, a work ethic, not just to get it done, but get it done right. And these things are incredibly highly detailed. And, you know, the internet culture and what we've seen over the last 20 years has been about, okay, we're going to just keep iterating till it's working in, in the field. In other words, it's like, oh, we'll ship out. Okay, if it's not near perfect, well, we'll just ship it out and we can update it each day if we need to for bugs or whatever. When you're building something that's of atoms and not just bits, and you have to get those bit uh, these items incredibly right, or it costs you more money than it costs for the whole program to take them all back. And you know, it's just crazy. You have a different level of diligence and care that you mm. put into something than when you think you can just, oh, it's broken, we'll fix it tomorrow in 24 hours or less. You know, that's and I think we have to we have to find a good middle ground with all of our products, whether they're just bits or they're atoms and bits, where there is, you know, where we we where we move fast enough. But we don't. We also don't move too fast to throw all of these problems and this, you know, onto the user. They'll just be our testers, and then we'll fix it based on what they say. Because then that just ruins your brand and your, you know, people wanting to to, to trust you any longer. So, yeah, and as, as I guess you're looking at, you know, promising devices and, and gadgets down the line. I mean, the iPhone has become this sort of Swiss Army knife. It basically does so many different things. I'm I'm curious if 
So going back to the iPod, if you think there are, there's still room for those kinds of single-use device, single-use inventions, things like the iPod that did that did really one thing, but really, really well. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how much, you know, when you go for a sports, you know, like a sport event or whatever, and you just want to listen to your music and, you know, or your, your exercise and whatever, and you need a, you don't want notifications. You don't want any kind of message. You just want a pure experience of music or audio or whatever is for, so you can get in the zone and not be disturbed. That's like so important and that it works well under those things. So there are many, it may not be as big as these more general purpose things, right? As these general purpose products and general purpose environment. But yes, absolutely. Single purpose or very narrowly focused devices. People do love them because they're incredibly easy. They're appliances. You pick them up, you use them. You know, it's, it's just, it's a different thing. That's why I love my little, you know, mixtape, my mixed iPod that I can pick up and just get, go back in time in that. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I hope that we're going to still see single use devices, uh, yeah, single application focused devices uh, continuing to, to be built. And you referenced that iPod. I'm curious which which iPod you use. Like, do you have a favorite? Do you have, like, from a nostalgia perspective, do you have a favorite? Do you have one that you sort of use as a regular driver? You know, I think obviously there's the classic. You got to have the classic. You know, or I love the wheel. You know, the old mechanical mm -hmm. wheel, just because it's nostalgic. But you got to have the classic because you can have, you know, nearly, uh, not maybe not from people's collections today, but nearly all your music. Cause when you got them big, when we got them big enough, you could put a lot of music. on. So that's just great because it's, you know, you, you feel the power. You're like, Oh my God, I have everything. But then, <laughs> uh, you know, you go on the other side and you just go back and you say something as simple as, as the shuffle, you yeah. know, where it's just pure and you could shuffle on or off. And it was just this little thing that you could use for sports or whatever. And it was so simple. Um, so you know, go, I, I could go back and forth, you know, the mini and the nano were more forms of the classic over time. And, you know, they got camera and all that other stuff, but really it's, I'd say the shuffle as well as the classic are my, my favorites. And, and in terms of that, stepping that, that time machine, that is your music collection. I'm curious what, what are some of the tracks that are actually on those, those iPods that you, you go back to oh, choose yeah. to go back to. And 90s alternative, early 2000s alternative. So that we're, you know, we're talking like back and, okay. and, and, you know, and <laughs> so, so it, it's, it's it, it, the whole Seattle scene, you know, um, uh, grunge scene, but, uh, and then I go all the way back to, you know, where I grew up, which is Detroit. So all mm -hmm. just Motown rock and, you know, there's Motown and then there's rock and roll around Motown. Right. And so, but Jack White was big for me in that, Jack White and the White Stripes yep. were really big because they had just burst on the scene around 2001, 2002. Being from Detroit, my brother's like telling me about it. I'm like, check this out. I was like, oh my God, my mind was blown. So probably every White Stripes album's on one of those classics. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's awesome. Uh, just, I guess lastly, as we started this conversation, the iPod is still around. Uh, how long do you think the iPod will, will be around and available on Apple's store? I am. I have no idea. I think that there is something to be said for making a device that is more narrowly connected. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Without, because the iPod touch is, it's, it's an iPhone, but it doesn't have the phone part, it, you know, right. you know, the old phone part still has Wi-Fi. Um, so it, I still think, you know, we were talking about this more single focus design device, these kinds of things. I think there's a really good 
key thing for that. And I think there's a lot of also embedded applications that can do, you know, POS point of sale kind of things and scanning so that people can use them as a platform and just connect them like a Raspberry Pi or Arduino or something. You just use those same ones for, for all kinds of functions. So. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, for one, I look forward to the checking back in 10 years and being surprised once again, that that thing is still somehow on Apple site. <laughs> we'll see. It'll be we'll see. Cool it <laughs> well, cool. Tony, Tony, thank you for your time. Really appreciate this, this walk down memory lane. You can check out our full iPod anniversary series on cnet.com. If you want to learn more, if you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at the daily charge or sign for direct text messages from me by heading to cnet.co slash daily charge. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.